but we have to evolve in conjunction with the world that we live in. And mm-hmm. we've started to evolve separate from the world that we live in. And, you know, any potty part that does that, that's a cancer, right? Rapidly growing things mm-hmm. outside of the host environment is cancer and toxic. And that is sort of what we're becoming. I feel like when we're, you know, used to something that's happening right now, like nothing else in the world happens Mm-mm. that way. Everything else takes time. There's a season for everything. And we have to plug back into that. Providing inspiration and community for women in business of Middle Tennessee. This is Powered by Her with Tiffany and Hello, welcome to Powered by Her. Thanks for tuning back in. I am Tiffany Anton and I have two ladies in today. And this is probably a little awkward for you guys because you're not like, you don't work together. You're not business partners. You're just two therapists in town, a former therapist and a current therapist. Do you, Emma, would you say that you're still, because I think you use the plant shop as kind of therapy ish yeah I mean I'm my license is in retirement so I'm not seeing clients but I'm not I don't think I'll ever be like separated from the therapy space maybe this is offensive but I think that there's other ways to to be therapeutic to people than just sitting down and talking with them one-on-one oh absolutely absolutely. so I have Emma Crabtree in um who is a former therapist and I have Elisa Allen who owns Wildly Curative um which is the um, therapy place in, in, in the upper Cumberland. I think anybody who is really like loving their therapist, I feel like it's from your space. Oh, that's such a compliment. Thank you. And it's you and two other ladies that are over there. Yes. Yes. Um, you have Jennifer Green mm-hmm. and Susan Fortner and, um, and you've kind of created this business, not just, um, you're not just a therapist, you're a business owner too. And we've talked about that a little bit. And I think you've created something a little bit unique and different over there. For sure. I wanted a place that it was authentic and it felt like home Mm -hmm. for not only myself, but the people that come in and then the people that work with me too. So curative means like specifically picked out for a purpose. And so that's what, that's what Jennifer and Susan are there as well. You know, I've been very cautious about who we put in our space and we're cautious about the clients that we accept as well. We want people that fit well with what we're trying to do, which is just create a holistic, peaceful environment internally and externally. Which is interesting. I've never really heard people refer to therapy as holistic or not holistic, but there is there is just a difference there. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, it, it depends on the model that you're coming from. You know, we don't we don't look at people as walking diagnosis. Yeah, here's your here's your label. Mm-hmm. Um, before we jump into things, and I love mental health, so I am really excited about this episode. But let me take a second to thank our partners. What in the world are you having for dinner tonight? Honey Baked Ham offers great options for take-home dinners to make it way less stressful. Pick up a 12-pack of sliders or a cheesecake, which is a favorite in our household. Don't forget, $1 off sandwiches every Thursday in honor of Powered by Her Day. Tell Coop that we sent you. Thanks to Tennessee Tech Women's Center, which hosts free community programs through the year. Coming up, there's a visit from Pam Grossman, author, curator, and host of the podcast Witch Wave. Grossman will be talking about images of women and magic on October 23rd and on the 24th about building a freelance writing career. You can find out more at tntech.edu women. Follow on social media at TN Tech Center. 
Hope you can join. Mm. I want to go see Women in Magic. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. The witch way. Like, yeah. I've never heard. I've never. Yes, this seems like right up the the um, glass tangerine alley, man. Yes, all you guys with your Halloween stuff. So October twenty third, there's a free event. Go check. That's it awesome. Out. So I'm women's. sure McCray will be there. There you go. There's a there's a great thing at uh, Tennessee Tech, the Women's Center, that they have going on. So today we're going to talk about burnout. So this is October now, and we're heading into this more stressful month of feeling like, at least for me, um, feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you have to do all the things with the holidays and I have young kids, so then I really feel like uh, there's even more pressure. And so um, what does burnout mean to you guys? Let's start there. Hmm. You want to take that one? Burnout means I quit everything. (laughs) I just want to lay in my bed and do nothing, right? I mean, technically, we would probably describe it as a dissociative state where you just can't be engaged anymore. But we all know what that feels like to just Mm -hmm. be like, well, can't do this. Mm -hmm. Also can't do that. And I don't want to go to work and I don't want to clean the house and I don't want to really visit with anyone. It's a place where we're not being our best self for sure. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. The best self. I always think about it like your um, emotional battery, right? Like, is your emotional battery charged? Are you feeling social? Are you feeling motivated? Are you engaged in things? Are you doing your laundry? (laughs) Like those kinds of things versus like, how do we, you know, we all know that feeling of like, we're just so beyond drained that I can't even function. Like I come home and I don't even want to like cook dinner. I'm not even interested in eating. And I think that that's a burnout is when that battery is so past empty. The one thing that I think, I always think I, I like to kind of tell myself, real close to the edge so I Mm -hmm. always think of myself on a cliff and I love it I love that excitement the adrenaline I love doing and being and being active and and giving and pouring into so many other people and I really do it really fills me up to pour into other people but then I just get to a certain point and I'm like I fell off the cliff Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I just I'm not okay anymore and I mean I will use that phrase like I'm not okay Mm -hmm. and I know I'm not okay and like how do I how do I get to be okay again? And I'm really, I'm somebody who's pretty self-aware. Um, and so I know when I get to that point, but mm-hmm. how often in, in people that you, you do therapy, how do I say this? I keep therapizing. I'm just making up <laughs> words now. People that you see as a therapist, um, how often do they not know that they, that they've kind of reached that low battery level, that they're not recharging themselves? How often are people unaware that that's kind of what's going on with them? I- I think a lot, but I also think like as therapists, we could both, you know, Mm -hmm. agree to that, that it happens often, even to therapists. Oh yeah. You get to this place where you're just like, you know, I don't feel good. What's wrong with me? And it takes a moment to realize, okay, I've pushed way farther than what I was actually capable of because we just are used to that. I think we live in a culture that's just go, 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 serve, serve, serve. And we just get exhausted. I think that's very common in all people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think even if people are aware that they're exhausted, it's normalized so much. There's that like, if you've ever had that conversation where it's almost like a competition of like, who's the most tired? Yeah. You know, you run into this like, often in social circles where people are like, well, I was up until two o'clock last night working. You know, it's almost like this like weird, gross badge of honor to be the most exhausted and the most burnout. So it's really hard to educate 
people and ourselves like, Hey, that's not a good thing. Like mm-hmm. it's not normal, Tiffany, to yeah. stand on the edge of that cliff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> living my life in a yeah, yeah. constant mm-hmm. state of panic and procrastination but see i am self-aware enough to know like i'm not some like i don't care you congratulations you stayed up till 2 a.m i need my sleep like, yeah i that's something that i need you know i'm not great about like eating well or but like i i this girl's getting her sleep. You're, you've got the sleep part down <laughs> yeah good uh, my dad sold mattresses for like 35 years and so i learned all the benefits <laughs> of sleep growing up and so, like, literally, I know, like, I need eight hours of sleep. You need a nice mattress. Uh, yes. If you're snoring, that means you're not sleeping as well. And so well. that's not as good. Like, I know all the things. <laughs> well, I think that's part of it, too. Like, so many of us are not educated in all those other mm-hmm. things. You know, I watched my mom work her butt off forever. And so how to how to take care of yourself, how to calm down, how to be, like, in your own zone and do things that actually fill you up. Those are things I was educated on. Mm-hmm. It takes intentional work to teach yourself those things. And I think that's true of most of us. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get that. You got a great education in sleep, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think most people don't get that. And most people don't get that education. And what do we need to do to protect ourselves and our emotional energy and our emotional battery? Well, yeah. And I like the word that you just said there. Um, you said intentional. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm just this huge proponent of living an intentional life. Mm-hmm. So if this is what I want in my life, let's figure out how to make it work. So if I want to have be a single mother and have two children and have a job and have a podcast and you know and volunteer in the the community, how do I make that all work? Because those are things that are all valuable to me and so then having that intention and I think that's at least for me I think I find I I slip out of my I I slip into burnout a little bit more Mm -hmm. when I'm not intentional Mm -hmm. about my time oh yeah absolutely I mean it's so easy especially when things are not negotiable right like you got to give your kids dinner right not negotiable (laughs) you have to go to work and pay the bills not negotiable um when those not negotiable things pile up on us and I think a lot of times maybe women especially, but definitely like going back to what you said about culture, the culture is that like, you just don't complain. You just push through and you just get it done. And that's fine in a limited scope. But if you're doing that on like long-term scale, um, it doesn't ever lead to anything positive. Like you have to know when to say no, you have to know when to stop. Well, and I think again, um, you said, you know, you have to give your kids dinner. You do. But I think also mindset matters. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, when I first got divorced um, and I was a single mom, I had this idea of like, what did dinner look like? What Mm -hmm. did that mean? And so it was like, okay, well, I have to have uh, some sort of protein and I have to have some sort of vegetable (laughs) and we have to have some sort of other, you know, carb. Like it was like, it had to be a dinner that we sat down and ate. Mm -hmm. And I, this year I said, I realized food's food and it's okay if you're eating a bowl of cereal for dinner or it's okay if we I made tacos and then you just make the you eat the taco whenever you want Mm -hmm. and so I've that mindset shift has helped me a lot of kind of avoiding that pressure um that I think a lot of women put on themselves of like we have to do it a certain way and it has to be done you know Mm -hmm. and look a certain way Emma you kind of talked about last episode about being kind of a control like you have to have freak (laughs) yeah no you can say it it's so fun (laughs) yeah no call me out man I mean and I I think I used to be like that I think that I've had some friends that have (laughs) told me that I'm more controlling I don't think I really realized that I was as controlling as I was until somebody pointed out and I knew it was from a place of like concern and care and I realized 
oh, maybe I can let some of this stuff go. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't have to be. And, and it does contribute to some of the burnout that happened, you know? Yeah. How have you dealt with your control freakness? <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't know. I think knowing like when it's getting too far, like, so in the last episode we were talking about me being too controlling about like our brand awareness and like social media and what I post and what I don't not wanting to give that up. Part of that's because I love it and I'm so passionate about it. I have to know when that has stopped. Right. And it's like, I don't, I'm not doing this because I love it anymore. I'm doing it because I have to right? that mindset shift Mm -hmm. because that often indicates to me like, okay, now we're just, it's just more tasks that I'm piling on myself because I don't want to delegate or I feel some level of guilt, which is a big thing that comes up for me a lot. Like if the girls are at the shop working and I'm not there, I feel such an immense amount of guilt and it's so misplaced and it doesn't like, I'm paying you to do this job. Like this is your job and I'm giving you dollars to do it, but I feel like I have to be there. It's so weird. So I think understanding like what's the difference between I'm controlling this because it's something I'm really passionate about versus I'm controlling this because some feeling of like not being good enough or some feeling of guilt or some feeling of obligation and just understanding my own like kind of awareness of that. And then when it does fall into that second category, being willing to then delegate, even if it's really uncomfortable. I say a lot like, I'm I'm a woman and that's all I know and I know a lot of our audience is, is female but is this is burnout more specific to women or does it kind of go both ways I think it definitely goes both ways I think women are u- more used to feeling that feeling of guilt kind of mm-hmm. like Emma was talking about and guilt really drives burnout because it you know guilt is not a real emotion yeah it's not actually useful it doesn't really do a whole lot for us it pretty much indicates you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and you need to do some priority reevaluation right similar to what you were talking about like with the dinner that happens at work that happens with who you're hiring it happens like when you work and when you don't work and I think we as women are just more predisposed to being manipulated by our own feelings of guilt and men don't generally have that problem to the same extreme I would say that men in general have much better boundaries than women and that is why we don't stick to our limits quite as well. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to one of the Sabrina episodes, I don't even remember which it was, but we were talking about boundaries. And um, I will credit you for the rest of my life, Elisa. Um, you have a house analogy for boundaries and relationships with people. And so um, go ahead and explain that to, to listeners. Sure. I think that, um, you know, we have to, we can't control who's on the outside of our house. So it's a basic floor plan. We have a front porch in a living room, in a kitchen, in a bedroom. And we can't control like who sees the outside, right? And so some things we do just have to do. And those things we are, we should acknowledge that those are just taking energy away from us. We're serving others and there's a time and a place for that. Those are front porch tasks, people, etc. The living room is the fun place, right? And you can have a lot of people on your front porch. You can have a million people on your right. front porch. That's totally fine. Now, it's not wise to spend all your time on the front porch because you're going to be burnout. Yeah, yeah. You're not getting any fulfillment anywhere, yeah. right? You can go a step further and we come in the house. Those are things that are safe for us to do and also enjoyable for us to in do. In your living room. So your living room people are people who are just um, fun people, mm-hmm. people who bring you joy and excitement. Yes. Or tasks that bring you joy and excitement, right? Or um, activities, things that you're that are part of your day, your scheduling, your prioritize, like at work, the things that are your top priorities. Those things are important. But they also can be the the only thing you do. The next, the next level is the kitchen. Those are things that are moving you forward, helping you develop who you are, what you want, and getting you towards your goals or people that are in that place. And the most intimate place is the bedroom. 
that's the place where we feel the safest, the most connected. Um, and, and that's a very important place as well. But we can't spend all of our time in that place either because then we miss out on the rest of the world. And so I think it's really important to take and prioritize task and according to where we want to be. And I think that's hard. I think so many times when we're talking about burnout, it's like, well, I should, I should, I should, I should. Mm -hmm. I need to do these things. And none of them, like what we actually want, comes into the picture at all. You know, maybe you do just want to be at home more. Maybe, you know, the whole reason we open a business and we're business runners, um, owners, runners, that's a funny thing, uh, is that we don't have to do all the work all the time, Mm -hmm. right? And yet we don't allow ourselves to take that break and come in and say, how can I support myself in other tasks that feel good? Or with other people that feel good more in a kitchen environment or a living room environment that's fun instead of just working and serving and constantly being available to other people on the front porch. Have you found in in your businesses that there are times where it's like, I just, I'm I'm focused so much on, you know, really the intimacy, you know, my bedroom topics or issues or people, um, and I'm not really worried about what's on my front porch and because it's it's not as fun it's not as deep it's not as meaningful to me or vice versa that it's like well I'm just you know I'm very surfacey with so too many people have you kind of found that in certain times in your business for yeah. sure mm-hmm. I think that there's always a balance in that like boundary house of like moving around appropriately and knowing like you know I for me I love to have um really good like vulnerable intimate connections with people and like I want to talk about things that are real we do that a lot on our podcast and but I can't like Elise was saying I could do that all the time and sometimes I have to sit down and write checks and sometimes I have to sit down and like pay bills and send you know benign emails and like there's all these business tasks that have to get done and I will just like put those off and put those off and put those off and so for me I have to almost schedule those things out like Mm -hmm. you know the first of the month like every bill known to man is due and so it's like I know I'm going to be sitting down that day and the girls know I'm going to be at the back table and if my headphones are on like do not talk to me because I'm focused on something, you know, and like, so I know like, I'm just going to have to do that. Um, but I try to reframe it a little bit of like, I just get to do that. I get to sit down at this table and have a cup of coffee and get these things done and taken care of and off my plate. Um, and then move on to the other things. But I think that it's like a very delicate dance of like moving Mm -hmm. around that house appropriately and knowing like, maybe I'm hanging out with this room a little too much. And it's interesting. I find that oftentimes when we're doing that with a task, and and I see this a lot when people come in specifically with burnout and work, is that they're expecting to get needs met that they that work can't meet, mm-hmm. right? Like so, you know, if you're if you're really wanting everything to be super intimate and deep at work, maybe that's a need that you're not getting met in another area of your life that you have to work to fulfill. I'm kind of laughing because I just went through. I had an employee that we were. We were kind of, I think we were maybe friends first and then we became a lot closer when she started working and she, she is a boundary person and she did not like, she started pulling away and it was like, well, this is a work relationship. And I was like, I just, I, I like friendships and I mm-hmm. like deep connections. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's not really as appropriate in the work environment. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and I, I do think, you know, I, I, I want, I always want deep connections. And mm-hmm. so for me, it was like, okay. So, you know, I had to kind of learn that lesson of like who, you know, what rooms are appropriate for what people I, I, I said before, like, I really, am, I want deep connections. So I kind of tend to like put people in bedroom people a little bit more, not in a literal sense, in a figurative sense. Right. Well, <laughs> and I think part of that too is like 
you're not the one that decides what room those people go in all the time. Like those people have autonomy to decide what room they're going to be comfortable in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, I run into this a lot at work. Like I'm a very relational person. I'm not a very like professional person. Mm -hmm. I just don't like, even when I was a therapist and I was like in the room with people, I'm like, we're about to spend a lot of time together and I'm going to say the F word sometimes. (laughs) Like it's just going to happen. So if you're not comfortable with that, like we can be vulnerable and honest and authentic with each other and me not show up as my true self in some ways and so at work you know I have to recognize like which one of my staff like are they comfortable being a kitchen person or a bedroom person or are they just a front porch person like Mm -hmm. are they most comfortable there I don't get to dictate what level they necessarily go to I just have to figure out like how do we meet where each other is um you know and I have like really good strong connections with some of my staff and then I have other staff that they're just more comfortable in the living room or the front porch and I have to respect that too mm-hmm. and manage your expectations yes appropriately yes. with that which can be tough it can be tough I think that's really it is difficult how much do you think so I really feel like mental health um can be really it can be changed by your mindset shift Mm -hmm. um I have somebody that I have to deal with um on a nearly daily basis maybe at least weekly um and it's not it it can trigger some emotions of past um relationships with this person and and it can be tough and so I there was a lot of anger to it of just past hurt and stuff and I think the shift of just I don't think this person intends to be a bad person. I think this person doesn't know better. I think um, this person is maybe a little emotionally immature and not really in touch with themselves as, as well. And so that mindset shift for me has been just huge. It's mm-hmm. really changed the way that I interact with him. And so um, what do you, th- what you know, professionally, <laughs> how does that change? You know, how does that help burnout? How does that change? How does it, when you've falling off the cliff like how does that change help things for sure I think that the two top sorry the two top um motivators for mental health change are agency and gratitude right so like we have a lot of these metrics for physical health but mental health works the same way and I think that we now the hard part is cultivating agency and cultivating gratitude it's like yeah we know your blood pressure is important that's really hard to get under control if it's not Mm -hmm. and so when you can take ownership of like this is how I got to this space And I 100% had a a role to play in that and I've contributed to that. And so I can change that. Mm -hmm. That is, that's, I think, very important to change. Which those control freaks, like we feel good about. I like, I like when you tell me I can sign me up for sure, for sure. And the same thing and like about gratitude and like, what does this person have to offer me? What is this person teaching me? What are they bringing into my life? What's the lesson I'm learning here? Um, Those sorts of ideas. And we bring those two elements into every interaction or everything. Things just start to shift and get more positive. Well, and I would also add to that, like, I think that there's this misconception that mental health exists over there, you know, and then maybe that's like a cultural shift or like a medical shift even like, you know, nobody's going to get mad at a diabetic because their pancreas isn't functioning appropriately. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, mm-hmm. but mental health, like that's your brain. It literally runs everything. So it's, it's a non-negotiable, like your mental health is a non-negotiable. And so when we understand that mental health is just another part of like the whole human body and the whole system, it's easier to one, stop blaming ourselves when we have an emotion come up or we have anger, or we have whatever, like feelings are not facts. They're just data. Mm 
And so we can say like, okay, what is happening to this like organ in my body? It's not just like, oh, I'm being irrational. I'm being this and this blame game. It's like, okay, I'm having some symptom come up. This is a part of like my whole body. It's not separate. The fact that we try to separate it is insane to me. It doesn't make any sense, but we do. We try to like keep that over there. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if my blood pressure is out of control, I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to start on medication and I'm going to change my diet and I'm going to do all stuff. What happens when we approach our mental health in that same way? I'm having this constant anxiety response. Okay. Well then something with that organ in your physical body, something is going wrong or something is misfiring. What happens if we treat it the same way mm-hmm. and just manage the issue and work to change those things in our environment that are going to shift that. So, you know, as therapists, you are, people are coming to you. And so it's somebody who said there's an issue and it's time to, to deal with this issue. How, how do you get or, or encourage? And I mean, this is the same thing with physical health is like, somebody's like, Oh, well, you know, I, uh, you know, pass out randomly once a month. Like then they go, they decide that it's time to go to the doctor or they decide that it's not. But how do you encourage people to, to figure out that their mental health is important? And it really, I mean, I was just talking to my sister this morning about stress and she get like, she just has physical, like physical issues all the time. She's sick a lot, but I think it's because there's so much stress that Mm -hmm. she doesn't, you know, release from our body. Our bodies kind of hold this stress and tension. I've been reading the burnout book. I don't even know who's about, who's about, it's the sister Nagasaki. There you go. Um, and so, um, and it talks about how, like hold, not just Mm -hmm. the stress, the things that stress us out, but the stress that we hold in our body and how it affects so many things Mm -hmm. and, and how to complete the stress cycle and get the stress out of our body and, and doing either like writing or art or physical health or, you know, exercising. How do you encourage people to take their mental health as seriously as their physical health? Even though we know some people don't take their physical health that seriously Mm -hmm. either um you know this is something i'm sure doctors fight against but kind of how do we how do how do we encourage that i think we have to meet people where they are that's consistently where i try to show up and where we try to show up in our practices where are you and then let's maybe go 10 percent above that and Mm -hmm. encourage you to come into this zone we can't go from zero to 100 that's not how people work and that just shuts them down right so you can't go into the doctor and be like okay well, I'm passing out every month. Okay, well, you're going to start exercising three times a week and you're mm-hmm. going to do, you know, you're going to eat all clean. And that's just not how that works. And it's the same with mental health. Like if everything, and it's not generally just one issue, right? Like things are interconnected. And so if it's something's going wrong in this area, it's also, also often going wrong in another area. So let's just start to break down. Like what's one little thing we could do? What's 10% out of your comfort zone? And we start to identify those things. And then people grow to that 10% and we move 10% higher. Um, because we are humans and we're always growing and evolving. And that's a really natural part of us if, as long as it's encouraged and in a safe space. Yeah. And normalizing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that like there's so much power in just being like, yeah, no, that's kind of normal for people mm-hmm. because they're coming to you. Right. And like, it, it, especially in the therapy space, you know, it's very intimidating. Like people don't know, like, they don't know what you're going to look like or who you're going to be or, you know, they're going to be like, oh, I'm here because I'm crazy. You know, there's yeah. like all this like 
old school perception of things. And really it's like, you're just going to come and sit in this room and we're just going to talk about things that are going on for you. And people will be so afraid to bring something up because they'll be like, well, I don't want you to think I'm crazy. And I'm like, no, it's just like super normal human experience, you know, and just being like normalizing it. It's like when you go to the doctor and you're really afraid because you've got you know, maybe you found like a lump. Um, this was an experience I had, like I found a lump and I was like, Oh God, I'm going to go to the doctor. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't think it's a big deal. How much relief you feel when your doctor is calm Mm -hmm. or like you're on a plane and the flight Mm -hmm. attendants laughing and joking and you're, you know, there's turbulence. We get to do the same thing as therapists or just as people in general. Like, yeah, of course you feel stressed. Stress is a physical experience as much as it is emotional, if not more. Mm-hmm. I would feel stressed too. I feel stressed you're talking about it. Mm-hmm. One thing you know? <laughs> one thing I think for me, and, and Emma mentioned last episode about being kind of business owners, and you're almost like mini little celebrities in mm-hmm. this town. I'm sure, Elisa, you go, go through that as well, where people like know who you are, and you know, I'm going to make sure people know who you are myself. (laughs) Uh, But I think, you know, I I think people look at me and they think I'm like this confident person and I I get stuff done. And so I try and be really, really vulnerable and open with people about the fact that I don't always have my shit together because I think sometimes that helps understand like, well, she, you know, we, from what we see on social media, or even when I'm, I was really sick last fall, couldn't eat, couldn't, I mean, I, I was, vomiting five to ten times a day I had to have a major surgery it was really terrible people who saw me during that time they're like I would have never thought anything was going on it's like well yeah because I still have to do my job Mm -hmm. and live my life and do those things but um I think you know knowing too of like yeah I I I mean I'm sure it was a stressor that my body broke down and that's Mm kind of what happened to me but it's it's like I think just being honest too as I always say as women um you know kind of being an example for other people of saying, okay, even though she seems like, you know, she's married and has three kids and she, you know, does all the things and, you know, she owns a a plant shop and all the, there's still times where it's like, we got to unplug, you know, Mm -hmm. Emma, you went on vacation not that long ago for like a week and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and you said, I'm going on vacation. I'm not going to have social media. And so I think kind of as taking off that mask sometimes for other people and being an example of like, okay, well, we all have burnout. We mm-hmm. all have that times where we, you know, just need to recharge our batteries. I remember a couple years ago, I said to CG, um, Hey, I just feel like I need to recharge a little bit. Like what, what do you do? And you know, I can't go on a vacation right now. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like the, the train is going whether I'm on it or not. And she's like, sometimes I just go and sit at the park and read a magazine and sit outside and like kind of recharge. Mm-hmm. So what are some other like options of like recharge that you guys feel like you ha- have worked for you or worked for other people, you know, or you suggest for people? Go well, ahead. I would definitely say like open monitoring. <laughs> yeah. Open a plant shop, <laughs> quit your job and open a plant shop, but in a different town. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, we got a lot of people from Alaska that listen to the podcast. Oh, okay. So if, so if you're living in Alaska, like open a plant shop. There's yeah. not a lot of tropical plants there. I'm sure people will love them. <laughs> right. Um, I do. I mean, there is something about plants. Yes. Just being in the presence, right? Oh, yeah. And I think that that was kind of where my like passion for them started. And even now, people walk into the store and they're like, it just feels different in here and I'm like I know it's weird isn't it like there's something about being around other living things that gives us like energy or reprieve and so that's which aren't necessarily your kids because they don't necessarily give me energy yeah well and that's (laughs) I always joked with people and I like 
as a preface, like if you're a former client and you're listening to this, I loved all my clients. This is not a reflection of like clients in general, but I would get home from work and I'd literally been talking for nine hours straight with Mm -hmm. people. And like one of the things that people don't realize about being a therapist is you have to be the same therapist for your four o'clock client as you were for your very first one that day. Mm -hmm. And that is really hard to be on like that all the time. So I would get home and I didn't want to talk to anybody, my husband included. I'd be like, don't talk to me and so I always joke with people like yeah well plants don't talk back right (laughs) so like I created this space that was very different um but to answer your question I think like hobbies is huge I mean that's kind of common knowledge but I think it's less about what you do and maybe more about what you don't do like don't just doom scroll social media all night long oh my gosh so Mm -hmm. I when I know see myself getting into like a negative headspace I used to love like all the trashy tv team team Mm -hmm. mom was maybe I should not admit this but I watched it for probably at least 10 years but it was like my unplug I could just watch like nothing tv I was a high school teacher so it kind of felt like that but like it just it was just mindless tv um but I've realized that when I'm not in a great when I'm tiptoeing towards the edge um I have to like take all my negativity mm-hmm. off social media. I like, I follow so many positive inspirational quote accounts and you know, that's why I try and post, you know, sharing my stories a lot is like, you know, really quotes. I have quotes in my mirror. I just surround myself with those positive things of mm-hmm. like knowing not to go in that doom scrolling. Like it just, it doesn't help anything. Yeah. If you're already like low, that's not, you need to, you do need to do something sometimes to help you pull pull up. So yeah, not watching other people's drama as entertaining as it is. I right. don't know if you do this, but um, I even now like love to watch like Intervention and Hoarders, like shows about like extreme mental health issues. And my husband's like, I do not know how you watch this. This is disgusting. Like Hoarders, especially you know, because yeah. there's just like rats everywhere and like people are living in trash and I'm like it's so good and captivating it's captivating and like to to look at does that make you if you're in a like close to burnout or in a burnout state does that make you do you have to stop that uh I no, and I would say specifically for hoarders, probably intervention or like anything that's like really heavy. Hoarders just makes me want to clean my house. So sometimes I like use it as like a motivation, you know, I'm like, all right, you gotta get your shit together. Um, you're slipping into some bad habits, you know. Funny. I think that, you know, kind of going back to what I said earlier, knowing what your needs are and meeting them in that way. And for me, being with people so often, I'm a very relational human. I'm an extrovert. I like people. I like to know things about people. So it's kind of similar to what Emma said. Like for me, in order to stay out of burnout, I have to be where like I'm not knowing people. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's long walks in the woods. I also love plants. I have plants in the office. I just spend a lot of time in my garden. Um, And with my animals that like don't involve knowing anything, Mm -hmm. right? That it's not mental or emotional and really work out that physical and a spiritual side in a different way because those are needs that just aren't getting met through the work day. And that's okay. That's not what the work is for. Right. Mm-hmm. And so finding that balance and it's different depending on what you do. I th- would imagine for school teachers who are educating all the time that it would be really fun to watch teen mom um, mm-hmm. where it's like, where are we not thinking about education? Similar to you watching quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Now, that, now that it's coming up, I, I see it. Well, and I think, like for mental health therapists specifically, you know, I think we see a lot of burnout in that space. Um, and I, I think your practice is functioning different. I don't want to make assumptions, but you know, when you are taking insurance, for example, um, you don't get to not see nine people a day. You don't get to not see 15 people a day. You go into community mental health centers and you have a caseload of 50 people a week. Mm -hmm. And 
you, that's just a not negotiable thing. And so to be mm-hmm. in private practice, you know, to be able to say my limit is five, five one hour sessions is all that I can emotionally handle. It's all that I'm going to be good for, for my clients is such a gift that is not, that is not available to a lot of people. Um, and so I think we see burnout at such a high level in, in medical fields mm-hmm. because insurance is dictating you're going to see 50 people this week in 15 minute sessions and you're going to get absolutely nothing done but that's what we're going to pay you for and I think that's really sad and I think that's why we need um, innovators in all fields to to do it differently and that is really important that you know for me I realized very quickly that I could not practice that way Um, and that's why I opened my own private practice and and why I've allowed these two wonderful women to work with me because I don't want them to have to have that experience Mm -hmm. of really wanting to quit before you even get started because it's so emotionally hard. But I also see that in education. Mm-hmm. I see that in medical fields. I see that in small business owners as well. Yep. This like inability to set boundaries or to say, this is what I can or can't do because of fear. Like I won't be able to provide or I won't be able to make my way. And we have to challenge those beliefs. And I think as a culture, if we'll consistently keep showing up and have people who will say, well, let's just see what happens when we do it differently mm-hmm. because we're all still functioning, you know, and none of us are seeing nine people a day ever. Yeah. That's that's so against the rules at our practice. Well, and I we just did an episode called Trust Your Gut. And um, I talked to the owners of P. Dillies who literally it's one cup, you know, their product is a cupcake that's, I don't know, four four dollars or something like that so the the loss of one cupcake feels like it could be you know or you don't want to lose customers and they really felt like when they they've done some things that are maybe controversial Mm -hmm. and they felt like they really found their people Mm -hmm. because they they stuck with their you know trusted their instincts of what they wanted to do and I think as business owners it is so scary to say this is my boundary I'm not doing that I'm not going to see people after 6 p.m. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to you know see people at 7 a.m. I'm not going to check my email on the weekend those kind of things sometimes it's like no we can't do that we have to be so on because Mm -hmm. one cupcake loss could you know that could snowball and, and we need every single you know sale it's hard to kind of stick with that but uh, the biggest thing is realizing that when once you fall over that cliff, it's hard to get yourself back up. You and know? setting boundaries does nothing if you don't hold those boundaries. <laughs> like, I think that that's the part. It's, you know, parenting, I think, is a good example. If you threaten Amen. to, like, put your kids in timeout and then mm-hmm. they never actually experience that consequence, they're going to learn pretty quick that that's just mom complaining and it's not going to lead to anything if there's no follow through on that boundary then it doesn't mean anything it's just Mm -hmm. words and you've lost that ability to to hold boundaries and so in business you know we do some unconventional things we don't have a phone people get so mad that we don't have a phone and sorry I'm not getting a phone I'm not going to listen to a phone ring all day I'm not going to answer a phone all day long um if you want to know something, there are so many ways to contact me um, or my shop that aren't just constantly having easy, quick, available access all of the time. Um, but when you start to hold those boundaries, people adapt very quickly. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, okay. I just know that that's not going to be a thing that happens. And they move on. Yeah. Alisa, tell me a little bit about your decision to make it a holistic um you know, therapy place Mm -hmm. instead of, so at one point, um, in full disclosure, Elisa is my therapist. I know you were not going to say that on air, but I think I've said it before, but I'm not going to lose my license today. (laughs) Um, but, 
Um, at one point, I said I was kind of feeling like I was going a little crazy, and I was like, "Do you think that medication? You know, what? What's your thoughts on like? Do I need something?" And you were like, "I'm not. I'm not an advocate of that." So tell me about that a little bit. I think that it really, you got to understand the whole picture and what's going on. And I, I came from a community mental health background. I worked in Nashville and I've worked among the homeless population. I've worked with kids. I've worked with adults. Um, and, you know, those were really important developmental years for me as a therapist. And I learned a lot about what works and what doesn't work. And I just haven't seen really anyone change on medication. I haven't seen someone get on a medicine and be like, okay, my life is so much better now for a long period of time, like maybe a couple of years, you'll see improvement. But if we don't do those things and that like support and undergird and build the foundation of who we are, then it's just, you know, your body adapts chemically and then we have to start over again. And so that's where that came from. I watched a lot of people struggle and fail and there's nothing worse. Kind of like Emma said, if you don't hold the boundary, there's nothing worse than like feeling like, okay, I did these things to make myself better. And now I'm back to where I started. Mm -hmm. That's such a defeating mindset that kind of, it's even harder next time to get the momentum to come back up out of that. And it was just watching people suffer. Um, and I think that there is, you know, there is a place for medication in conjunction specifically for a time limited period. That's what it was built for and what it was made for, but it's not easy and it's not fast. And I think because of that, we are in a culture that things have to be fixed, you know, instantly. And that's, it's just not how it works, which is again, why I love plants, right? The day you plant the seed is not the day that you get to see the flowers bloom mm -hmm. or you get to pick the okra that you thought was eggplants. It's happened to me recently. <laughs> um, you don't get that that day, right? It's this process of tending to things and the waiting and the drawing out that actually builds something in us that lasts the test of time. And it's not going to be instantly removed um, when a time, the magic time span runs out and the body adjusts. So that's interesting. You talk about t kind of time span and, and, and patience and waiting to see. Um, we, I, I assume we're kind of all in our 30s, 40s-ish. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so the we kind of understand, we remember commercial breaks on TV growing up. We mm -hmm. remember, you know, um, having to watch that episode on Thursday night because you didn't have DVR and you didn't, you know, if you missed it, it was like, you know, they did the recap at the beginning of the next week, but you missed that whole episode. And um, we're just, there are times where I think to myself, TikTok started, I think it was like maybe one minute TikToks and then now it's gone to three and I think it's now gone to 10. And there's a part of me that's like oh, 10, 10 minutes. That's so long. That's too mm -hmm. long. I can't watch a TikTok. That's 10 minutes. That's a long. lot of TikToks. It, um, it just, are, are we hurting our mental health? The more we become this, we want it now society. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think we're definitely changing who we are and how we function. Yeah. Um, and the fact is like humans are evolving always and that's not always a bad thing. And I think, but we have to evolve in conjunction with the world that we live in. And we've started to evolve separate from the world that we live in. And, you know, any potty part that does that, that's a cancer, right? Rapidly growing things mm -hmm. outside of the host environment is cancer and toxic. And that is sort of what we're becoming. I feel like when we're, you know, used to something that's happening right now, like nothing else in the world happens mm -hmm. that way. Everything else takes time. There's a season for everything. And we have to plug back into that. And I think like going back to what you were talking about with medication, like, um, you know, if it's a blood pressure issue 
and I go to the doctor and I take the blood pressure meds, but I don't do any of the other things that I'm needing to do. I don't change my diet. I don't start moving. I don't start exercising. I don't reduce stress. That's going to have very little effect. And I think, um, maybe a little bit of a different perspective and like full disclosure, I take Prozac every single day and like, you can take it from my cold dead hands at this point. Like I recognize for me and the way that my body functions, that that is an element of the whole anxiety management for me. And it will probably be something that I will take for a very long time. Um, but it alone doesn't do anything. It in conjunction with not eating crap and getting good sleep and managing my stress and doing all these other things creates this like holistic picture and everybody is very different in that and for some people medication can be very 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 helpful as a part of the entire toolbox but as a society we leaned so heavily on that with mental health it was like go to the doctor because you're having anxiety and get an anxiety med and then that'll fix it and that's never going to be the case and there's very few mental health diagnoses where that is the case. Well, and I think, um, I, I, I thought about this earlier. I think we live in a society too, where, um, alcohol is, is one of the stressor, yep. you know, when I got divorced, I was very, very specific that I was never going to drink alone because I want, I knew that was just, it could be such a slippery slope mm-hmm. where that's like, you know, mm-hmm. that's the number that can kind of get you through a tough time. And I think we live in this society where it's almost like, it's just callous about it. Like, Oh, mama's got to ha- have her glass of wine. Yeah. And it's Mommy's like, juice. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it, it, you know, and, and I, I do drink, I, I don't drink for that reason. And when I'm in a bad mental state, I I'm more aware of like, this isn't going to be helpful. I'm not going to do this one thing because it's it like, like you were saying, at least it, it kind of sets you back even mm-hmm. farther. And so it's harder to like get moving. And mm-hmm. so, um, I'm just really aware of that and, and trying to kind of look at the whole big picture. Sometimes I think it's really important. And yeah. that's exceptionally difficult with alcohol. Like this is such a tangent, but I've been sober <laughs> for four years and, um, Part of that for me was recognizing I stopped drinking when I started on Prozac. And I was like, I can't be drinking <laughs> depressants and taking antidepressants. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't. I'm washing it all away. That yeah. does not work. And my, like I knew that, like I had enough training. I like have a master's degree in this. I know that that's really stupid, you know? Yeah. And so, but undoing that programming that we've been fed that we don't even know we've been fed is so incredibly difficult because alcohol is the only drug that's normalized to the point that you have to explain to people why you're not using it Uh, and at first everybody's like are you pregnant and I was like no I and then I'm like no I'm on Prozac and like give a very awkward answer you know so it's like don't ask people that but you know the level of like ritual and programming that comes with alcohol use is so heavily ingrained and and when it's only when you start to dismantle that that you understand like how difficult that is to do that um but yeah we we lean on those escape things way too heavily we've been taught that they're self-care yeah and that's not self-care no. it's destruction and you know it's i think that's literally hard. poison <laughs> it's literally poison and serves no purpose in your body and that's tough you know and, and figuring those and there's a lot of other things that i think fit in that category as mm-hmm. well that we think are good for us and okay and you know it's just an easy out to say well mm-hmm. I, I do this this is my self-care yeah and it's like it's not you got to go a little and the fruit of that is that it doesn't work right well, one of the thing one of those things i think is um 
retail therapy for which sure. mm-hmm. people feel and and it does it gives you that dopamine hit i've Absolutely. been really big in the past <laughs> few months of like what can i do to get a dopamine hit that doesn't involve somebody else doesn't involve me trying to get a compliment from a man or my kids to tell me that i'm a good mom or to spend money like how do mm-hmm. i get a hit without those things mm-hmm. like it's just hard to kind of figure that out but um, I think retail therapy, it's like, for me, you go out, I've really, I, it's, it's been a hard thing for me to fight against, but it's like, I, I just, it's like, I want to buy some, a new, you know, outfit. And then I get home and then I'm like, I just have so much stuff. Like mm-hmm. the stuff then stresses me out. Yeah. <laughs> so and then you're watching opposite. quarters so that you have some motivation <laughs> to like clear it out. Yes. Absolutely. It's, it. it can be, I think it's really that back to that intentional aspect mm-hmm. of like, okay, what can we do for our mental health that has the intention in mind that we want to have. Like, mm-hmm. what is this? What do we really want for the long term? Mm-hmm. So, okay, we want this dopamine hit. So that's our quote unquote self-care. But but what is that really going to do in the long run? Is it really going to have a net positive outcome? And mm-hmm. I think sometimes sitting down and, and talk, having that conversation with yourself is, is hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And maybe self-care doesn't involve getting a hit of something. I think that maybe that's part of the reframe. It's <laughs> yeah. like, if I'm looking for that quick hit of something, like I just need a bump of dopamine. No, that's probably not a self-care thing. Yeah. What are you trying to to accomplish are you trying to escape something are you trying to just feel better for the moment because everything else feels like it's falling apart like you you got to go past that and that doesn't mean that you're not going to get those things we're always going to seek that out there was a book that came out years ago um, called altered states and it talks about like throughout human history how we have always looked for ways to alter our like consciousness and even children like they'll spin in circles until they get dizzy and fall over and that's an altered state as well of chemical existence and so we're always going to look for those things but self-awareness is knowing when we're looking for that and being able to dig past it while you're like eating that snickers bar like buying that outfit you know like (laughs) absolutely and to speak a little bit about what emma said about like utilizing medication as part of the picture i think a, a thing that we've been implementing a lot in our practice recently is for people to understand their neurotransmitter patterns. And so when you actually understand what serotonin, GABA, acetylcholine, and dopamine do in your brain and how you process them, because every person does process them differently. Mm -hmm. For example, I'm a super fast dopamine burner. So things that other people enjoy, I enjoy for two seconds. And then I'm like, I don't really care about doing that anymore. Right. And it's obvious if you're around me for long enough, you're going to be like, yeah, she's a little chaotic. Right. (laughs) It's totally fine. But that knowing that about myself allows me to practice and do things a little bit differently instead of looking for that hit Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, well, I could go just get, um, you know, go have a shot or go, Mm -hmm. you know, drink a cup of coffee, but it's not going to change how I feel. I'm going to be exactly the same in five minutes. So that processing and allowing that to be part of that is self-care in a different way. And that, you know, but we don't, if you don't know, you don't know. And I think that's a big part of therapy also is just being educated on here are all the other things that, you know. You don't have to read 55 books to figure it out. Let, let's just process it together and work through where you're at. Yeah. One thing I was listening to a podcast that was talking about people like it was a relationship podcast, but it was talking about like kind of people who want to who have that itch to text their ex. Mm-hmm. And they're like often that hit that you're looking for will pass after about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so if you can busy yourself with something else in that time, it that that itch to do the thing you're, you don't want to do or you, you shouldn't do um, will pass by and you'll kind of get yourself into a better headspace. And mm-hmm. so I, I thought that was kind of interesting because I 
you know, I can be that person sometimes. Well, and so many of these behaviors are so automatic. Like there's this concept in neuroscience called Hebb's law and Hebb's law states that neurons that fire together, wire together. And what that means is that the more we do something, the stronger that connection becomes. Um, it's the same concept of like practice makes perfect. The more that I go and do something, the better I get at it and the easier I can do it without having to think about it. And but that well, goes both ways for the yeah, negative. Well. It does. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what we don't recognize is that our brains are always concerned with working smarter, not harder. And our brain doesn't necessarily see things from like a good versus bad perspective. What it says is, oh, Tiffany keeps doing this thing over and over and over again. Let's create a really strong neurological pathway so that she doesn't have to think about it as hard and we can just make it automatic. This is like whenever you... Um, catch yourself looking at your phone all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm really bad about this. Like I'll just pick it up and look at it for no reason at all. And I'm like, what's happening here? And what that is, is that those neurons have wired together. They don't physically wire together, but they've connected and created a really strong neurological pathway. And so, so much of changing behavior is understanding, oh, maybe I'm just automatically doing things because my brain is trying to help me. It's trying to make these things more efficient. It's trying to use less energy. It's trying to make things more automatic. Even if that thing that I'm doing is a really negative behavior, it doesn't know the difference. Um, And so in counseling, I think the biggest misconception about counseling is that your therapist is going to fix you. It's like, I don't know you. How am I supposed to fix you? My job is to teach you these things and help you know where are these things happening and build your own self-awareness around it. And so when we talk about like changing behaviors or seeking dopamine, what we're talking about are, is that concept of Hebb's law. Where have I created automatic processes that don't serve me anymore? And how do I undo those processes and build new, stronger connections in other areas? I think that's so, it's so good. I think that, and not everybody can take that step to, to find a therapist. I think that there's a, a difference between having your friend circle that's going to you know, and even when you do have a friend circle that you're going to want to talk to and kind of, um, kind of work through some things, be aware of who your friend circle is. Yeah. If somebody's just your automatic cheerleader, that's not going to, that's, they're not doing the best they can for you. But, um, clearly I'm a, an advocate for mental health and therapists and, um, all that kind of stuff. And I really recommend kind of finding somebody. And, and one of the first things, um, when I went and sat with Elisa, she was like, this isn't like forever. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be your therapist. Like, you know, three times a week for the next six years, you know, like this is, we just want to get, you know, work on whatever we want to work on right now and get to a place. And this is, this is not a forever thing. And I think some people think, you know, oh, I'm so crazy. I'm so messed up. I have all these issues. And so I can't ever get to a place that, you know, I would, I would be committing to a therapist for the rest of my life. And Mm -hmm. that's not really Mm -mm. the plan. That's not how it should look and work. No. Mm -hmm. And different therapists will serve different functions in your life throughout your lifespan mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know I might be a great therapist at least might be a great therapist and we might be a great fit for you in this season of life and then maybe you stop going to therapy and things are going well and then something happens later and we're not the best fit for you anymore and we mm-hmm. recognize that and we don't want I I never wanted to see a client for 10 years I don't like that is that's really hard um to do that as a therapist it's like borderline unethical I think in a lot of ways because are you really serving that person anymore? Like, you know, I have a friend that said she went to a therapist for, I want to say it was like 20 some years. And she said that when she, the lady was retiring, like she lost her mind. And I was like, I can't even imagine like 
that kind of situation. You can't, that's just not healthy. No. For, you know, as a client. And I mean, that's an old school paradigm. That's like very Freudian, like that this, like I am going to be your helper. And I think that burns people out. Absolutely. I can't, I don't have anything to offer you. All I can offer you are these resources that I know about and you get to use them or whether you don't. Like I can't give you what I have. Mm -hmm. I can't give you my resiliency. I can't give you my, you know, my education. I can't offer you those things. I can say, here are the tools. Do you want to use the tools and throw them almost as a life preserver? And as long as we can do that, that's mm-hmm. great. But you're like Emma said, there comes a point where it's like, well, I don't know anything else about that. All I know, my training is very heavy in Gestalt and EMDR. Those are the things I know about. I probably can't help you with like interpreting all your dreams all the time. Like I just don't right. know. Right. <laughs> um, I think we could probably sit and talk for mental health uh, for another hour. Probably. Um, but I'm going to wrap this up. So Elisa, how can people connect with you if they want to know more about you or more know more about your business? How can people sure. find you? You can find us on the internet at wildlycurative.com and at, on Instagram at wildly underscore curative. Okay. So go check her out. Are you guys accepting patients at the moment we are okay great um go check them out i highly highly personal experience recommend i mean it's what makes me so amazing (laughs) just kidding if i'm crazy it's not elisa's fault it's my fault um emma go ahead uh yeah so you can find me at glasstangerine.com or glasstangerine on instagram or on facebook at glasstangerine um not accepting clients because i'm no longer (laughs) practicing in the mental health field but um i love to talk mental health all the time and I was actually texting Luke the other day. We were talking about our podcast. So I have a podcast, a podcast water your plants too, that comes out on Wednesdays. Um, also through the pod kitchen, I'm in the pod kitchen family. And I had texted him the other day because we do a lot of episodes about mental health. And I said, I feel like I'm doing more mental health outreach now than I ever did the eight years mm-hmm. I was in the chair. Yeah. And so if you want to talk mental health or you just want to like reflect on some things or whatever, come to the shop, I will talk your hair off um, or listen to our podcast. One thing I want to point out is that, you know, what you think you might be the best at in your career and really serving other people, um, you can do it in different ways than you think. And so just like you said, you're doing more to advocate for mental health as a business owner than you than you felt like you were at that time and that that transpires in other ways too as a, a teacher I really felt like I loved connecting with students and I loved being able to pour into them and I get to do that exact same thing but I don't have the burnout of being an educator and I have a flexible schedule for my kids and so I just think sometimes we're so um, career path wise or, or what what are you gonna do with your life quote unquote do with your life um, it, it just people feel like it has to fit in this box and it's like it doesn't and it can be you know be creative and innovative and how you're going to live your life and I think that you're building a life that avoids burnout a little bit more than you were before Mm -hmm. yeah and so because I burn out in such fun fashion (laughs) (laughs) well thank you guys so much for being here I hope you enjoyed the episode if you want to know more about Powered by Herd head over to PoweredByHerd.com join the community support the cause and we'll see you next week